time as we prepare our hearts to bring the tithes into the storehouse, to bring alms into the storehouse, and to bring uh, those offerings into the storehouse so that we might further the gospel on the foreign field. And uh, ushers, as you're preparing, I want to thank everyone for your faithfulness. I want to encourage you in the area of stewardship that we would honor the Lord with the first fruits of all of our increase. And so may God bless you. May God bless your homes. May God bless those resources that he has supplied and provided for his children and that we would steward those well. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we love you and we give you thanks. Thank you, Lord, for your trust in us. Lord, we own nothing. It is all yours. The earth is the Lord and the fullness therein. And so, Father, we are but stewards of these resources. Lord, will you, in an ever-increasing manner, teach us about stewardship. Teach us, God, about the kingdom of God as opposed to the kingdoms and the systems of this world. For, Lord, truly there is a difference. And help us to have a greater understanding. And Lord, even as your word says, let us be rich toward God. And so, Lord, with that heart of generosity, as we grow in our generosity, being more like you, as we grow day in and day out, Lord, may the generosity flow that we might see the kingdom of God advance powerfully and effectively. We pray, Lord, also for the community of faith in this area. And we are asking, Lord, for that same, that, God, there would be no lack of resource. I pray that in the local churches in this community, it would be like in the days when they were going to build the tabernacle and Moses and Aaron had to tell the people to stop bringing because of the abundance. And so, God, may we see that in your kingdom. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone says a strong amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, you have a lot of items that were on your seats when you came in, or if you're in the bleachers, uh, there's some ushers that are going to be passing some items out to you. Uh, principal amongst those are the 40 days of prayer and fasting. There's a sheet that looks like this, 40 days of prayer and fasting. And uh, we are engaging as a fellowship on both campuses, and we're inviting all of our family to participate and if you're visiting with us, we encourage you today to participate. It's an opportunity to do even as Pastor Dennis shared a moment ago, but to consider, Lord, what you might want to do in and through us. And so we're praying for the body. We're praying for one another, our church family. We're praying for our church leadership, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. We're praying for the Damascus campus. We're going to be doing a community launch in late April and mid-March, uh, or excuse me, late March and mid-April, somewhere in that arena before Easter. And so we're believing God for an influence in the community. And then our Happy Valley campus, some direction in relationship to that. Our Easter outreaches, we're praying for prodigals, this being the year, I believe, of the return of prodigals. And so we're praying and believing God. And then the five friend focus, and you'll hear more about those in just a moment. But before we go any further, Joel and Jenny are standing over here waiting with bated breath to have our uh, junior high group join them. And so if you are a junior hire, you can make your direction that way. Uh, they'll be delighted to be sharing with you this morning. Also on your seat, you have what we call uh, the prodigal cards. The prodigal cards. And our hope is that everybody here knows a prodigal, someone who has known the Lord, has committed their lives to Christ at some point in time. It may have been even as a child, 
Maybe it was a vacation Bible school in the community. And they went and they gave their hearts to the Lord. And you know them. And you know they're away from the Lord. And it doesn't really matter how far they are away from the Lord. You just know they're away. And God is reminding you of that person even now. And maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's several family members. We want to encourage you, if you would write your name and your email, and then the names of those that you are believing God for, and maybe you need more than one card. And you would indicate that relationship that they have with you. And here's what we are believing for. We're going to make our prodigal list, and we'll keep anonymity, so the prodigal list will have only first names. And we're going to break that down. If we ended up with a list of 500 we're going to break it down, divide it by seven, and put all those names for Monday, put all those names for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And we're going to pray every single day for prodigals. And we're going to be believing God together. And we will distribute those lists. If you would like a copy, that's where the anonymity comes in. There'd just be first names there. God knows who they are. And when you see a name, a first name of someone that maybe you were believing for, you just hold fast to that one and you say yes and amen. And we're going to agree together and we're going to believe God because the Spirit of God is at work and he is moving on the hearts and the lives of people. And we've talked about the warfare. We've sung about the warfare. Even when the battle calls, even when the wars wage, we have to rise up, put on the armor of God and fight in the supernatural realm. We were praying before service in the back and I heard Chuck Altig say, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. Amen. And we must fight with the weapons that God has provided for us. And so I encourage you to take these cards today, even in your seats right now, as the Spirit of God is laying that on your heart. And then after service, if you would just bring them up to the front altar here and leave them on the altar, we will collect all those up. And they'll be available up on the information table throughout the entirety of the year. And so you can be adding these, just simply putting them in the ushers' uh, buckets as those are passed around and they're serving us. That way we'll collect them and we'll keep adding to the list. Can I get an amen? amen. Do we believe that God can bring them home? Amen. We're believing God that, they, that prodigals would come to their senses and return home. And the card that just jumped down on the floor, you also have one of those. It's our five-friend focus. Our five-friend focus is different than prodigals. These are people that the Holy Spirit has laid upon your heart. Even as we just sang that song, and fill me with your heart and lead me in love to those around me. The idea there is that we would be salt and light and that you and I would be about our Father's business, seeking and saving the lost. Can I get an amen? And that God would lead us to people and that you and I, we would share the love of God, share the love of Christ. As we see in John chapter 4, and we'll read again today, Jesus modeling what it's like for us. And so I encourage you in that area. Then also on your seat, you have a green sheet that looks like this, and it says, love like every life counts. Pastor Dennis opened the service today about celebrating life. Today is the Sanctity of Life Sunday. And as Pastor Dennis shared, he said, we believe life begins at conception and it ends only when the Lord says it's time to come home. 
Life begins at conception. Where do we get that idea? We get it from the Word of God. We get it from the Word of God. And God is the author of all life. And he declares that it begins at conception. And so we go with his definition. And so we, we are fighting for the lives of the unborn. And we are believing God. And we are partnered with First Image and Pregnancy Resource Centers. And uh, they, they are doing a marvelous work in our community. And so today we have, uh, I think, Mike, can you reach over and just kind of talk, or thank you, David, could you throw that bottle, throw that bottle up at me? There you go. Sorry about that little squealing. Occasionally I do that when I catch my toe in the wrong place. <laughs> we have baby bottles that look like this, and they are up on the information table. Uh, there's, a, there's actually a special table set up for uh, First Image and Pregnancy Resource Centers. And we're asking that you would take one of these and that you would put money in it over the next number of weeks. In fact, we'd like to collect these up when we come close to the, uh, the March for Life. And I think that's in May. I don't have that date exactly, but we'll be collecting these back up the week before that. And as we gather these up, we're hoping to raise some resources for pregnancy resources so that they can, we can help them accomplish their mission. Can I get an Amen. That's a big deal, and so please, please be about this. And I want to encourage you, as we do always, certainly during the seasons of elections, that you would, uh, that you again, you, would, you are Christ followers first, and so that you would uh, not necessarily be voting political lines, but that you would be voting biblically. Does that make sense? So I encourage you in that area. The last one that you may have, you may not actually have this one, but we have our Thursday night class that has begun, and our Thursday night class is at the Gladstone campus, and it starts at 7 o'clock, and it's co-taught by myself and Joe Leckolt. And uh, we had our first class this last Thursday night, and we want to encourage you, you can join at any time. And the class is How to Read the Bible. And uh, a more theological term is it is basic hermeneutics, how we interpret Scripture and where the Scriptures came from. And so we're taping those that, the classwork, but we want to encourage you to come out and join us uh, 7 o'clock on Thursday nights. Okay. Feel like you have information now? Nod your head say, wow, that was a lot of information. Okay, great. Well, we're picking up in John chapter 4, so turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 4. And... We looked last week at the Samaritan woman as she had an encounter with the Messiah, with Jesus. And we're going to read the story, the narrative again. We'll be adding uh, to our reading a few more verses uh, from 27, actually 238. I'll include those because we've, we've covered some territory and the title of last week's message, Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And that was part one, and this is Jesus, the Prince of Peace, part two. And why I say Prince of Peace is because Jesus is our peace, and he is the one who breaks down the walls and the barriers in our lives on a relational level. And we saw last week, beginning with family, he breaks down walls and if there is, in your own bloodline, relational things, let Jesus come in and bring peace. Maybe you haven't talked to a brother. 
or a sister, or maybe you haven't talked to a parent, or a parent, maybe you haven't talked to a child in a long time, and there's conflict. And it happens in families. We, we see family conflict, right? I mean, so it, it happens, and we don't intend for it to happen. Or maybe it's in the family of God, where it's a brother or sister in the faith, and there's conflict, and God wants to bring peace there. Everybody understand? God wants to bring peace in his kingdom, there ought not be conflict. Can I get an amen? Yeah, and so at the end of the day, right, if there is conflict between two people or two groups of people, at the end of the day, they both can't be right if they're in the kingdom. Does that make sense? Right? A kingdom divided cannot stand. And so there is resolve and there is resolution. And so often I've discovered in my own life when there's conflict in a family, in my family, in my heart, towards my siblings or toward, well, my parents have both gone to be with the Lord now, but extended family or wherever, most often it's something working in me. And I got pride and I don't want to let go. Anybody else identify with that? We're like, ah, I'm standing my ground. Hey, they have no rights. I have a right. Listen, if you've come to Christ, you've been crucified with Christ. You're now dead to your rights to self. And we have to live that way, and it's living out our faith, and it's not easy. Has anybody discovered that the walk of faith and the walk of the Christian life, have you discovered it to be easy? <laughs> or have you discovered it to be a little bit more difficult because all of a sudden God begins to reveal things on the inside, and he says, I want to do a work in you. And so often we're like, no, I like who I am, and I like where I am, and I like me, 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 me. And that focus gets changed, and so we see this. And then we see in this narrative, Jesus breaks through and brings peace in the social spectrum of life, right? That socioeconomic, that spectrum that is, exists in every community, in the communities, and he breaks through that. He, in chapter 3, we see him speaking with Nicodemus, the top dog in all Israel, wealthy, religious leader, the teacher of all Israel. And now we find him in chapter 4 talking to this Samaritan woman. And we saw the details of her life last week in great detail only to discover she is like the low of the low of the low of the low. She won't even come out to the watering well, Jacob's well, when the other women are accustomed to come out. She comes out by herself. She's had five husbands. The man that she's living with right now is not her husband. He's a boyfriend. Might even, in fact, be somebody else's husband. I mean, it's a train wreck life. And she's, not only is she a Samaritan, she's got all of her worship stuff askew historically. But she's a Sicarian, which are known to be liars. I mean, this, she's like, woo. And Jesus says, no, salvation is for all men across the spectrum. And he cuts to the chase. And he wants to bring peace in the midst of that and solve some of those issues in the hearts and the lives of people. And we see him also making peace Politically, think about, think about the church 
the people today in the kingdom of God and the spectrum politically. It's confounding. It's confounding. Racial strife, religious strife, all of these things are confounding. And Jesus has come. When Jesus returns, he is going to bring peace. He will rule and reign. We're going to have some aha moments. Oh. She even says, hey, when Messiah comes, we know he'll teach us all things. I think we're going to go, oh, that's what you were saying. Have you discovered some of the things that Jesus has said are, like, difficult? I mean, we read some of that even last week, and we're like, well, I honestly don't even know if I know what he just said. i got to reread that. And I read it again, and I read it again, and I'm like, I feel like Nicodemus sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, how is it that a man can enter a second time into his mother's womb? You know, or the other disciples saying, well, what does he mean, eat his flesh and drink his blood? And it's like, what? What about all these other areas? I believe that Jesus wants to bring peace. So let's read. We're going to pick up with the fourth point of last week's sermon. Uh, and Jesus, the Prince of Peace, he brings and makes peace amidst people with the Father. And that's where we'll pick up and we'll, we'll tie it in uh, and we'll see a couple of interesting things. So let's begin in verse 1 again, and we'll read through the text, and then we'll uh, pick up later in the story. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. And let me, let me stop here for just a moment and encourage you, uh, as students of God's word, when you get detail like uh, the ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph, oftentimes those little pieces of information are an opportunity for you to go back and read that portion of scripture, and you can read it in Genesis 49, where there's an allocation of land. And it's very possible that that last verse in chapter 49 of Genesis is referring to this very particular additional piece of land that was given to Joseph. It's, there's some probabilities there. Anyway, that's just, it's a little clue in your reading of the scripture when you get little pieces of information, you can go back to those texts and gain more of the fullness of the story, if you will. Verse 6, now Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And remember last week we talked about that intonation there. We don't have intonations in God's word. And if we dissected this from the Greek, it really is uh, almost a, a request, could you gift me a glass of water? Could you gift me? And, uh, and that idea of gift for his disciples had gone away, verse 8, into the city for food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink 
from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me or gift me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you or gifted you living water. And the woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get, the, get, get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank it Drank from it himself as well as his sons and livestock. Let me pause here for a moment. One thing I notice about Jesus also is his tact in his conversation. He is, he's using the same terminology for a purpose to draw her in. So there's a play on words with the gift because he's now talking about something supernatural. If you knew the gift of God, the gift of God is the son of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That is the gift of God. And he is directing her toward Messiah. I think that's a keen thing. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We see this example for us directing conversation to Jesus. I think that's important. And so we find here also that, you know, she begins to reference Father Jacob. And so there's this You'll see as we progress in the story, there's an asphyxiation with Father. Jesus picks up on this, and he has a very keen response. So it says, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir... Give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Now she's fixed on the natural realm and he's talking about something deeper. Okay? And so how do we help get people beyond the natural and into supernatural things? So Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have said, well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. I think it's interesting that he said it that way. In this you have spoken truly. Again, she's a Sicarian Samaritan woman. She's known as being a liar. And now he says, now you're speaking the truth. We're cutting to the chase. You're speaking the truth. And he reveals more of that truth. So she says, the woman said to him, sir... I perceive that you are a prophet. So he's gone from living water to now being prophet, and he is both of those. He is the living water. He is a prophet. Then she shifts gears. I'm sure she doesn't want to talk about her sin in her life. Is there anybody in this room who, like, you just can't wait to talk about your sin? <laughs> in fact, when sin topics come up, that may affect our lives, we'll kind of steer away from the conversation. In fact, in many cases, we lose eye contact with people because we don't want to somehow identify with that as if, like, I might have been in that boat. Does that make sense? Sometimes we're, we're like, steering away. And, and I love that Jesus, with this woman at the well and with you and me, 
He doesn't want to come into your life and my life in a greater measure to help us manage sin. Because after all, if the life and life abundant was somehow about managing sin, anybody discover that that would be like terribly unfulfilling? Right? I mean, I know we want to sin less, but if my ambition for my spiritual life and my connection relationally was about somehow managing my sin. I'm always going to be coming to the throne like, oh, well, here I'm probably going to get beat up again. If we would recognize and grasp that when we come to Christ in salvation, our sin has been justified. God sees us as his sons and daughters just if I'd never sinned because he sees us through Jesus who paid the penalty for our sin. I love that Jesus didn't say, well, let's come back to this adultery thing. Let's come back to this fornication thing. He doesn't do that. She brings up worship. And I think that's where he wanted to go. And so, perceive that you're a prophet. Verse 20, our fathers worship on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Now notice, she's talking about where to worship. Where. The history we talked about last week at the dividing of the kingdom under Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and what happened with the 10 northern tribes and how they established Mount Gerizim. They changed the scripture. The Samaritans only would hold to the five books of the Torah, and they modified everything, and that's it. And they say, well, this is the place that we worship. And there was a temple that was built even on Mount Gerizim, and we know that uh, the, the Maccabean Wars in the uh, 200th century, uh, John Hycranus came in, and the completely destroyed the temple up on Gerizim and now she's, she's still there and the ruins are there and they say, well, hey, our people say here on this mountain is where we worship but you Jews say in Jerusalem where the temple is is where worship and she's focusing on where and he's going to shift the gear not on where but on who. On who is the focus of worship. Jesus said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. We'll pause here for a moment. They've been talking about God and the difference. And what they know in this culture and at this time is Yahweh, God, the God of the Hebrews. And Jesus are you greater than our father, Jacob? Our fathers say we worship here and you in Jerusalem. And she's affixed and he's going to correct all that and say, look, there is a father. And he is the subject of our worship. Father. You've probably heard it taught when Jesus teaches us to pray. He says, but when you pray, pray this way, our father which art in heaven. And you might have heard that that would have been a concept for the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those of the Sanhedrin and those in the ruling class and the teachers. That would, this concept, Father, 
That's far. They don't even say his name. They don't write his name down for fear of missing it. This concept of this creator God, now father, this is so foreign. And for her, could you imagine? I mean, her natural dad, probably real proud of her. Five husbands in their culture, this was absolutely unacceptable. Living with a man, absolutely unacceptable. She would be a reproach to her own family and to her own father. And so for this, all of a sudden, to be narrowed down to father, this is a deep thought. Jesus says to her next, you worship what you do not know. We worship, uh, we know what we worship. And then he qualifies what that is, for salvation is of the Jews. And it's interesting, this is one of those moments when, I, when I'm reading God's word, I say, what did he just say? You don't know what you worship. And I think I grasp that because it's convoluted because of the historicity of that. You don't include the prophets. You don't include the, uh, the minor prophets, the uh, major prophets. You don't include the history writings. You don't include these other textual things that would have been part of the Septuagint, which Jesus was, that was his Bible, those, those books, I mean, we have 39 Old Testament books. The Septuagint's numbered a little bit different, but it's still the same content. And so they don't have the whole story. And so they have all this pagan worship that's been integrated. And you don't know what you worship. He says, we do know what we worship because we have the revelation. We have the Old Testament. We know. But he qualifies, he says, because salvation is of the Jews. And I think this is where the link is made. True worship begins at salvation. All other worship is not worship at all. In fact, Matthew, in his gospel, he would say it's vanity, it's vain. There's vainness. Remember how, remember how he said just a moment ago, he said, anyone, anyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. Water there, you could fill in the blank. If you drink from movies, you'll thirst again. If you drink from trying to satisfy your flesh with alcohol, you'll thirst again. If you try and satisfy it with success, money, you'll thirst again because that well will never be satisfied. The only satisfaction in worship is found in Jesus and through Jesus to the Father. And he's pointing her there. He's getting her there and directing we know what we worship. Salvation is of the Jews. And then he says, but the hour is coming and now is. So he said earlier, the hour is coming. And now he says it again, the hour is coming and it is now. It is now. And it is now is what? He says, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit 
and truth. In spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. In spirit. You remember when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus? And Nicodemus is like, um, I don't understand what you're saying. He says, unless a man is born of the water and born of the spirit, he cannot see God. Then Nicodemus is still, huh? You ever feel that way when Jesus starts to explain something? You're still like, could you go over that one more time with me, Lord, and maybe from a different angle? And he says, okay. So flesh gives birth to flesh. The spirit gives birth to spirit. Born again people are true worshipers of God because it begins with salvation. We are the true worshipers, and we are worshiping, and he is pointing. Remember, remember Jesus, he, she's asking, are Mount Gerizim in this temple or Jerusalem in this temple? Remember in John chapter 3, uh, I think it's John chapter 3, where he says, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. What temple was he referring to there? Well, the text tells us, it says the temple he was referring to was his body. It's no longer the temple in Gerizim. It's not about there. It's not the temple in Jerusalem. But the day has come where it will be in me, in Jesus, and toward Jesus through life in the Spirit. And so those of us who are born again, we are the true worshipers of God. And we worship in the Spirit of God and through the Spirit of God to the Son as well. It's interesting that it says next, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. These are, these are interesting statements that are being made. Remember when Jesus speaks, this, he, he says, when I speak, my words are spirit. And life. And oftentimes, I, I mean, even when he was talking over here about gift, we, unless you dig a little deeper, you're like, we miss things. And talking with Nicodemus, if we, you know, we're looking at the natural realm, we miss the spiritual implications. And so we, we, we slow down and we say, all right, Lord, teach us. What, what are you referring to? What are you, what are you saying here? And I believe the Father... The Father doesn't need you or me, does he? I mean, God doesn't need us. It was his delight to give us the kingdom. He is giving himself away. He is not in need of our worship. What his, I believe his passion is and his desire is he has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It is his heart's desire that none should what? Perish. So what are we talking about here? Salvation. Salvation. And so when I look at this and I say true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, it's that idea of God's spirit giving life to our spirit. They're going to worship him as being alive and in truth. Who is the way, the truth, and the life? Jesus. So alive in Jesus. 
And the Father is looking for people to be alive in Jesus. And the beauty of this is he's using ordinary people like you and me to accomplish this. And he's demonstrating. Here's something fascinating to me. Jesus, I mean, we know that he turned the water into wine. That was his first miracle in Cana of Galilee. But his ministry begins in Jerusalem. And he makes his way to Judea and now to Samaria and from Samaria unto the uttermost. He reminds us in his words before his ascension, you can read it in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you, when after that the Spirit of God has come upon you, you will receive power and you will be witnesses unto me where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and under the ends of the earth. He's modeling the method. I think that's fascinating. Here's something even more tangible associated with this. He ministered to his family first. Then he ministered to the Jews or those in Judea. Now he's ministering to those who seem afar off because of conflict. And he's going to take it to the ends of the world. That's you and I. Listen, we have a responsibility to our flesh and blood. Your family. Share the love of God. If your family doesn't know Jesus, man, they should be right on your five-friend focus. If they do and they're away from God, they should be the first names on your prodigal list. We have a responsibility. That's, that's, our, that's, that's, our, that's our flesh family, so to speak. And in the family of God. And then, friends, who are those associates that God has placed around your life? Your realm of influence that you uniquely can reach. That somehow you know these folks. Why is it that you know them? For the gospel. For the gospel. That's significant. Seek first the kingdom of God. And if we seek first the kingdom of God, our perspective changes on how we even view people. Does that make sense? If they don't know the Lord, I know them for that purpose. Now, I develop relationships so I'm not, you know, browbeating them with the Bible in every single conversation. Well, have you decided to receive Jesus yet? <laughs> they won't be your friend for very long. But if you develop relationship and you have communication and you have regular interaction, you'll be able to speak and direct conversation and ask questions that will lead to deeper topics and deeper relationship. And even if they never respond to the gospel, you can go to depths of relationship because you've taken the time. Look at what Jesus is doing here. He's taking time with this woman. So let's go a little further. God is spirit, verse 24, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. Living water, I perceive you're a prophet. Salvation, Savior, and now she's talking Messiah. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, 
he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I am Messiah. Could you imagine the woman at the well at that moment? I mean, we have no record. Except that she leaves her bucket and rope. Let's go on. Let's, let's read. And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one asked, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? She has a tangible encounter with the Messiah. And her first response, I got to go tell someone. I got to go tell someone. Listen, Jesus wants to have that kind of impact in our lives. What's so compelling to this gal as Messiah? I, here's what I think. He didn't focus on five marriages and the fornication relationship that she's living in. But he brought it to salvation. Have you noticed that so often those who are on the outside, we focus on their sin? We don't mean to. But we do. And we want to fix people's stuff and get them to think the way we think and get them to live the way we live. And they're not, they're not there yet. But Jesus is saying, look, go get your husband and let's talk about this. And then he brings it all the way down to salvation. And what's her natural response? I'm accepted with all of my stuff, all of my junk, all of that. I... When he first referenced Father, those who worship the Father, what does Father beget? How do you become a father? You gotta have children, right? Do you, she's probably like, Father? Well, to be a father, you have to have kids. Am I one of the kids? How do I become a kid? How do I, how do I get in on that relationship? You see, Jesus is not focusing on religion at all. The do's and the don'ts, the where's, even the why. He's not dealing with that. He's dealing with who. And she's discovering, I too, can be a child of God, and my stuff is forgiven. It's forgiven. Dennis, Dennis talked 
Dennis, uh, you and I hadn't, in fact, Dennis was so busy this week, he couldn't be at staff meeting this week. And he, ha- he didn't know where we were going this morning, but what you said when we were praying, some of us may be here and we're struggling because we can't forgive ourselves from stuff in our past. And Jesus is saying, I'll take care of it all. All of it. The lowest of the low. The worst of the worst. The vilest offenders we used to sing in the hymn. Who truly believes. We sing songs like Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a what? Wretch. Like me. Paul the apostle. I am the chief of sinners. He's one who can say, I was there. I was there giving approval when Stephen was being stoned to death, giving my approval. His face was like an angel, condoning murder. The worst, God comes in, Jesus comes in. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. And that's what he's doing today for you and for me and to our people that we know and come in contact through us. You see, because people on the outside, they're worshiping something, but it's not true worship. And the Father is seeking to save them so that their lives can be directed to be lived for him because he has what's best for them. Not because he's got an ego and he needs to feed his ego. No. He wants to give himself away. So she goes and she tells the men. I wonder who the men were that she went and told. Might have been five dudes and a dude that she's living with. But here's what happens. Here's what happens. Come see a man, she says in verse 29, who told me all things I ever did. And again, I would submit to you, there's, that in and of itself is a study. How did, how did he know all those things? And I'll leave that with you. And if you want to shoot me an email, you can, and we can talk about that. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. Well, in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. This is just the funny part, right? Because, again, our natural inclination is to think on this line. We are like, we think earthly level. We think flesh level. They're like thinking amongst themselves. Where did he get any food to eat? Did he store some granola bars in his cloak? What, where did, did someone bring him some? Did the woman give him some? They're like, what, what are you talking about? He said, uh, I lost my place. Here we go. I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, his disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. The will of him who sent me. What's your food today? 
As a Christ follower, what's our food? What's our food? What satisfies? What's satisfying you at a gut level? Cold pizza? Dear Wiener Schnitzel chili cheese dogs? You know what I'm talking about, don't you, Matt? <laughs> it's, not, it's, not that, it's not the taste bud stuff. It's not the full belly stuff. True satisfaction comes from fulfilling the will of the Lord to serve others. How many times, Rhonda, have people said to me after serving at the Wichita dinner, I am just amped. Or Charlie Linda going downtown and serving someone on the, on the streets or Adam serving at the warming center. I, I, I've been there with Jason on many occasions and Brian DeSemple. And, I mean, to, to serve is so fulfilling. I came home on Thursday night after the Bible study. Joel taught the Bible study. I was amped because we had just been in the presence of God and we were studying the scripture and we were learning together and it was so encouraging. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep. Everybody was going to bed and I'm like, so what did I do? I put in an old John Candy movie. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? So I'm at the Wichita dinner Friday night. I'm sitting at the table with this marvelous family. I've met the wife before, but the husband hadn't been. He's a bass player. Jeff, I used your name. I'm like, hey, we got, I, I pointed over to Karen. I said, Karen's husband's a bass player. And he's a great guy. His name's Ben. Ben, are you here? I hope you are. God bless you. And I met their son. His name is Knight. And we engaged in this conversation. And I was just telling it because we started talking about, I said, Knight, oh, I said, hey, I'm a night owl. That's what we have something in common here. Just trying to follow Jesus, you know, using words and so forth. And so I said, you know, I was a night owl even last night. I was, we were at a Bible study. I came home and I was, I was just amped. I couldn't go to bed. So I put in a movie and I talked a little bit further. He wanted to come back to the movie. Who knew? The reason I may have put in the John Candy movie. I mean, here's the deal. It was a free movie, number one. And it's in the W's, so it's like the, I, was, I went through the whole scroll to find a movie. I was like, oh, I can't find anything. I don't want to watch any of these movies. And then I got this PG movie with John Candy, and it's in the W's. So it's at the end of the list, Wagons East, the last movie that John Candy made. And I'm not condoning the movie necessarily, but I, I said Wagons West, and he goes, Wagons East, John Candy. And he engaged in conversation immediately around that movie. And I was like, what just happened? That was so epic. And God used those conversations to come to faith-related things, salvation-related things, food. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And Jesus did finish the work. What did he say upon the cross? It is finished. In the Greek, tetelestai. Debt paid in full. The debt of sin, the wages of sin has been paid. The penalty of sin has been paid. It's finished. Then he says this, and this is what we're going we're to close with this morning.
I know it's only 1121, but we're closing. I'm saving those nine minutes for next week, so. Okay. Verse 35. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Let me stop here for a moment. Put yourself at the well. Here's Jesus sitting at the well. He's engaging in conversation with a woman. The disciples come back from buying food. They're like, what is going on here? You're talking to a woman. In the meantime, she just leaves. She leaves her pot, she leaves the rope, and she bolts. And she's going in and having conversation with the men of the city. And they're talking about food. And Jesus picks up on the subject of food because there's grain fields near Jacob's well. But it's not the season for the grain to be harvested or harvested. And so I just get this picture, and this is conjecture. So please, I'm just in my mind's eye, this is how I see it. Here's Jesus, and he's like, got, you know, he's leaning up on the side of the well, he's sitting down, and he's talking to the disciples, and he says, do you not say that four months until the harvest? And then I think he goes like this. But I say to you, lift up your eyes, for the harvest is white. And I believe that he points to the people that are coming from Samaria, about a mile away to Jacob's well, based on the testimony of the woman. The harvest is ripe. Look at the fields. He's not talking about grain. He's talking about people are the fields, the mission fields, and they're white unto harvest. They're ripe. They're ready. Now, now. In your life and in your realm and in your influence, the harvest is ripe. They're white. They're ready. We just need to have our sickle in hand and be ready for the harvest. He says, they're white for harvest, verse 36. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. Now we know he's talking about people. He's talking about souls. Unto eternal life. That both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For this is the saying, or for in this the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. The kingdom of God and this text has to do with worship of God, worship of the Father. To become a child of God begins at salvation, and he cancels all debt. If you're here today and your past is a train wreck, well, I got news for you. You're looking at a guy. If you knew, if you knew who I was before I knew Jesus, you, you would not like me. You would not like me. I was, uh, last night, this is going to sound terrible because I don't watch a lot of TV, but I kind of do watch some TV. Anyway, I'm thumbing through the channels. There's nothing on TV. So I landed at MMA fighting or whatever. There was a fight on last night. 
And I, I, I move out onto the edge of my seat. And every time a guy is throwing a punch, I'm leaning into it. And I'm like, I'm backing up when a, when a swing's coming in. And I, and I can immediately go back to where I was before I knew Jesus at 19 years old. And we used to go out and we would pound people. I was terrible. And maybe you were terrible. And maybe as a born-again believer, you're still kind of terrible. Like you still just do things you know you shouldn't be doing. And it's not worship to the Lord. It's just worship to your flesh. And you, you see this man at the well who's offering life. He says, let's not focus on that. Let's focus on true living. And you say, I, I, need, some, I need some more living. And true living is living like Jesus. Learning to live that way because it's worship that's received by the Father. That's why Paul says, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your lives as living sacrifices, living worship, living worship, for this is your reasonable service. Another translation says, for this is your spiritual worship. It's 24 hours a day. 365, 168 hours a week, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And you say, man, I just need more. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your heart to Jesus. And you've felt like, I, can't, I mean, it's too much, too, too much history, too much past, too much stuff. I would submit to you like the woman at the well. Jesus isn't focusing on the former. It's today. Today is the day of salvation. And so I want to invite you to stand with me this morning. And I'd like the worship team just to come up. And we're going to close, guys. And uh, this will be my second closing. Uh, <laughs> it might be, might be my third or fourth closing. I invite the worship team. That, long, that last song that we sang, uh, yeah, Build My Life. I'd like to sing through this. Um, if you're here this morning and you still kind of struggle with your past, you just, not necessarily that you're struggling in your past, but you're struggling getting over your past. Does that make sense? Uh, or maybe you're still struggling with stuff from your past. I don't know. And you just, you just, you just want to be liberated from that. Because Jesus has already taken care of it, and he's not bringing it back up again. In fact, I wonder if the Father's not up in heaven saying, when we come and say, oh, God, I'm so sorry. He's like, uh, okay, what are you talking about? Because I don't see that, right? I don't see that. If that's you, maybe just where you are, will you just receive this prayer? And we're going we're gonna, to, our benediction will be the song. We'll sing the song and then we'll be dismissed. Pastor Dennis will uh, say, you know, last closing word of prayer and then we'll be released. I want to say, I want to pray for you and with you. If you're here this morning and you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior for the very first time, and you'd like to talk to someone about that afterwards, uh, there will be a couple of folks right up front. Uh, Mike will be up front. John Morris will be up front and a, a couple of others. And you can come and talk to them. Pastor Dennis will be up front. And uh, I'm going to try and get folks and greet you at the front door. Um, just a chance to pray with someone. But if you've, if you've struggled with your past and you see this woman who had this quote-unquote train wreck of living 
And yet God comes in and says, you can be a child of God too. And she goes out and she testifies. And as a result of her testifying, a whole bunch of people come to Christ. A whole bunch of people. In fact, what they say to her, we didn't finish the text, but what they say is, now that we've spent time with him, we don't believe just because of your testimony. We believe because we've seen. Belief. To those who believe, he gave the power to be called sons of God. So, Father, this morning as we're standing in your presence, a lot of us, all of us have a past. Some of them are maybe more colorful than others. But at the end of the day, some of us just may be reminded regularly of our past. The enemy always throwing things at us to be stumbling blocks to remind us of our mistakes, our failures, and all of that kind of stuff. And so often we can get derailed because we entertain those things and we think about them. And we deflect conversations. Well, you know, let's not talk about sin. Let's talk about worship or where we worship and blah, blah, blah. And we just, we, so often we can be so like this woman and there's just brokenness there. And Jesus wants to bring peace because he's the Prince of Peace. He wants us to be at peace with our Father in heaven, to know that we're his child and that we bear his name. And he can't unadopt us, so to speak. And that we're forgiven and we can have relationship, have relationship that's based on life and truth. And so God, will you, I pray for those that may struggle in this area, that God, they would receive your everlasting arms beneath them and wrapped around them, and that they would know that they are a child of God, and that the power of sin and the power of our past has been broken, and there would be that delight, and living can begin. Again, no more sin management stuff, even though we need to say no to sin and all those kinds of things, but it's not... We, we get to live rather than focusing on sin. We get to focus on living and worship how we live to glorify our Father, to honor Jesus. And when we honor Jesus, we honor the Father. And all of those things as family members in the kingdom of God become ours tangibly. So Father, we pray a prayer of freedom. A prayer of re-release. Liberty to the captive, your word says. You have come to bring liberty to those in captive and in bondage. And that we could proclaim this is the year of the Lord's favor. And so God be glorified. And for those that one or two that may be here that want to receive Jesus, may today be that day of salvation for them. Coming forward and speaking with one after clarifying salvation. God be glorified. Lord, we love you. And as we sing this song of benediction, Lord, may we be sent out into your harvest fields to those around us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Dennis, thank you. I will build my life.